Hello and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host. It's episode 36, and we're going to be talking today about home automation. I have two great guests today. Uh, first up, Alex Hall. He's a programmer and a system administrator, a blogger, a sometimes podcaster. Alex, welcome to Parallel. Oh, thanks for having me. Next up, a returning guest, Rosemary Orchard, who is the co-host of Automators right here on Relay FM, as well as Nested Folders. And she's written about automate type things, uh, about OmniFocus and about uh, shortcuts and take control of shortcuts. Is that your latest project, Rose, the Take Control Shortcuts book? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It just updated, actually, last well, week. welcome. Glad to have you back. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's always lovely to talk. Well, I, I wanted to talk to you guys about home automation, and the, the, the topic sort of came at Rose's suggestion because you've been getting into home automation a lot. I, I have dabbled in it. I find myself on podcasts where people ask me, hey, what are you doing with home automation? And I sort of you know stagger through what I have done, but I'm by no means a, a completist. I think all of us are probably somewhere in the Apple-focused ecosystem as far as automation goes, but I wanted to start there and, and have you each... Tell me a little bit about your sort of uh, background in home automation, how you got into it, and, and what, what platforms you're, you're favoring, what you're doing with automation right now. Yeah, so I pretty much do exclusively HomeKit, which is Apple's um, take on the, on the whole thing. Um, we've got pretty much everything, um, you know, lights, plugs, thermostat, just a whole range of stuff, locks. Um, and basically, I just automate as much as I possibly can. Um, as I said, I'm, I'm basically exclusively in the Apple side. I have the Echoes. I don't want to say the A word here, but I've got those set up. I have Google Home somewhere or other, uh, but we don't really use those. And we'll get into why probably a bit later. But my primary focus is HomeKit and as much as I can possibly do with it. So you don't have specific things that you are wanting to automate. You just want to automate everything because it's fun and, and <laughs> like HomeKit. Is that is that a fair or not fair? It's, it's mostly, <laughs> I mean, a lot of it is convenient. You know, it just makes life simpler. Um, you know, for instance, you've always been able to get some of those mechanical timers you could put on an outlet for a lamp or whatever and set them to, you know, 9 p.m. or 6 p.m. But with HomeKit, you can do things like an hour before sunset. So it moves sunset as the sunset time itself moves throughout the year. So just, you know, little things like that, or you can have things do different things when you come home, when you leave, when anyone in the family comes home, when the last person leaves, just all kinds of different conditions like that that make things easier. So Rose, talk about your your journey with home automation. What are you what are you doing with it? And you you I should say, if it isn't clear from your introduction, you're somebody who automates a lot more than your home. But but what do you what are you doing in terms of home automation? Well, at the moment, I'm redecorating my house, which uh, has allowed me to uh, add more automation than might necessarily be wise. Let's put it that way. Uh, so I I've gone all out. I have uh, new light switch covers. So the regular light switch is there and the, the smart light switch is in front of it. Um, so that, you know, if I could take it off the wall if I needed to, I have smart blinds, obviously smart lights in every room. I am predominantly in the HomeKit area, but I do have the Logitech Harmony because it's the only solution for automating a TV with lights and everything um, that you can really do. But I'm working on integrating that into HomeKit with HomeBridge. Um, I do have an Echo Dot in my kitchen uh, because I wanted something there that could 
you know, do some relatively smart things, but also tell the time. And it's got the LED on the front. It's the previous generation because Amazon just updated them, of course. Um, But yeah, I've gone kind of crazy. I haven't got Lux yet, um, but I've got a lot of smart plugs and so on running around um, because uh, my heating system, I don't have central heating. I have uh, one heater per room, which I can control individually. And I was there like, I could do something smarter with this. So I'm currently experimenting with a hue motion sensor which can also tell you the temperature so if i'm in the room and it's cold it'll uh, turn on the outlet for the heater um and then if it's the temperature it'll turn it off and turn it back on and off to uh keep the temperature comfortable for me without me actually having to manually you know get up and twiddle the dial uh which is you know you know normal people stuff so why not (laughs) why not go crazy did either of you have a plan ahead of time in terms of what you wanted to automate. These are things that would be better if I had automation, or did you simply start buying things and connecting them and figuring them out after the fact? I definitely started with lighting because of podcasting. The number of times I've been sitting there recording a podcast and then I'm sitting in the dark because I started in daylight and then the sun is set was very much frustrating me. And so I was like, okay, I need lights. And then when I was moving, I was like, I also need blinds. Uh, and so I've only, I've got the blinds in my bedroom and my, in my podcasting studio slash office slash spare bedroom. Um, and uh, that's great because then, you know, I, I can mute my mic and put the blind down and um, it's, it's kind of loud and takes a little while, but it means that I don't have to like move away from the area to, to put the blind down, um, which is great. So I'm then no longer sitting in the dark to podcast and it's not cold. Uh, so I was essentially aiming to make my working life more comfortable and then thought, hey, I'll just go nuts and put it everywhere i didn't really have a plan specifically um when HomeKit first came out i thought oh that'd be kind of neat to try and then there was uh, some sale or other on amazon and that kind of started things and i'm kind of glad i started with the outlets um i didn't go for the bulbs or anything at first because outlets are in a way the most versatile things that you can you can do um you know, heaters, like like you were saying before, you can do air conditioners, coffee makers, fans, table lamps. Smart lights allow you to dim and change the color, but if all you need is on and off, you can do a lot more with the outlets. So starting there gave me a lot of neat ideas as things progressed and as I thought of more things I could do once I got the basics kind of set up and um, everything sort of grew from there. So I definitely didn't have a plan going in and a lot of the time things that I'll think of don't work out or kind of turn into other things. Um, so I just sort of, if there's a new device that I think could be useful and I can find it for cheap enough, I'll give it a shot, see if it works and see if I can integrate it into my setup. But I don't usually go in with a specific goal in mind. That's why I asked about the plan because it seems like for some people, there might be more intention, oh, I think it would be great to automate my garage door or my porch lights or something like that. But I think probably to some extent we're all tinkerers. I know I am. Like I, I didn't yeah. when I started getting smart home stuff, and I don't have tons of it. I didn't think, oh, this is a problem I want to solve. I thought, let's put, let's make an outlet smart and see where we go from there. And I've had much more fun doing it that way than like trying to plan it out 
from the beginning. I think it's one of those things that's really difficult to plan because you can start by thinking that you have, you know, for example, the garage door open or something. That's a very specific problem you want to solve, but that doesn't necessarily lend itself to flexible solutions for other things, whereas a smart light bulb or a smart plug definitely, or a smart outlet, uh, depending on, you know, which English you're using, uh, you know, they, they lend themselves to so many different things. So... I, I was in Ikea and I, I've recently started playing with the Ikea trot free uh, things um, and oh my gosh, really cheap and great fun, work really well. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll just pick up an extra one of these outlets from my dehumidifier. Um, and it's great. Now I start podcasting um, and it turns off my dehumidifier and I don't even think about it. And then when I finish podcasting, it turns it back on. Um, and that's it's, it's all, all about, about podcast. podcasting, but it's great because I have a I have a button that I use at work now, um, which is I I have a phone call coming in, and so I hit the button and it m- pauses my music, turns off the dehumidifier and stuff to just give me a slightly better environment for calls at work, um, and that, that you know it it's one of those things where you just end up picking up stuff and it kind of expands and floats out from there, um, but. Um, you know, if, if you, you, you can absolutely start with a plan in mind, but I, I see a lot of people on Reddit specifically, uh, asking, you know, okay, so I'm building a new house. What smart stuff should I put in it? Um, and there are so many suggestions, but they, they, it always seems like six months later, they have a whole bunch of things that they never anticipated putting in that they're now automating. This episode of Parallel is brought to you by the IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint. I love finding new podcasts. In fact, I kind of collect them. Maybe I have too many, but it's always great to have something new in my podcatcher to listen to. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, The IntraZone is a bi-weekly podcast with conversations and interviews on how Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive, and related tech can work for you. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field so you can see how SharePoint fits into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications. Each show covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, a focused topic of the week, guest perspectives, FAQs for the week, and upcoming events. And just to give you an idea of what to expect, I want to tell you about some of the topics you might be interested in that have been on previous episodes. They've discussed working from home, which I know is relevant to a lot of us, also figuring out an intelligent intranet for your organization, and they did an episode talking about API and teamwork too, which you should give a try. So I listened to an episode that talked about using SharePoint from a maker's point of view. So being creative and thinking outside the box the way a maker might, even when you're using a straightforward, well-known business tool like SharePoint. And it was a unique way to approach the content. The guests were interesting and they're developers who do this work on a full-time basis with a maker's attitude. So I enjoyed it a lot. So go and listen right now. You can just search for the IntraZone wherever you get podcasts. That's IntraZone, I-N-T-R-A, Zone, or just click the link in the show notes. Go check it out. Our thanks to the IntraZone and Microsoft SharePoint for their support of this show and all of FM. That sort of leads to the question about platforms, HomeKit, Amazon, Google Home, Harmony is a sort of another element of that, because I, I didn't really focus in, in sort of writing up notes about entertainment, but we should probably talk about that. But I, I guess I wonder about that. It, it feels to me like there's more compatibility among devices for the different platforms than there was initially. 
But I guess my two-part question would be, how did you come to choose the platform that you are mainly using? And have you been frustrated by not being able to get devices that necessarily work in the platform that you want or had to make compromises of that sort? Well, I started out with the the whole uh, the Philips Hue stuff um, because I was given it as a, as a Christmas present, great Christmas present, um, and uh, so I got a couple of bulbs and a light strip. And the Philips Hue stuff is really good. I would definitely recommend it, but it's also quite pricey. So I have Philips Hue bulbs in the overhead lights in every room, um, except the kitchen and bathroom because they 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 require an electrician to come and change things, and the lights are not compatible with regular light bulbs. Um, so I, I've got Philips Hue there, but then um, when I decided that I was going to make my new place as smart as I possibly could, that's when I decided that I was going to get a second bridge and I got the IKEA trout free stuff because it's it's very affordable. Um, and at least here in the UK, you can get the blinds and so on at a very affordable price. Um, and there, you just go into the store and I picked them up. They had hundreds of them sitting there. Um, I understand that in other countries, people are struggling to get the blinds, which it makes me sad because they are a great product. Um, but um, I, I started out with the Hue stuff. It had a great reputation. It works really well. I have to say I've had to contact the the Philips Hue people a couple of times because I, I've done weird things to my setup and needed some help untangling the mess that I got myself into. And they've always been extremely helpful um, and very fast at responding. Um, but the IKEA stuff works really well as well. And I'm Currently in the process of waiting for um, some Aquara stuff, which is by Xiaomi. Um, I think I pronounced that correctly. I probably didn't. Um, and they're uh, based in China, and they also have some very affordable things like door sensors and so on. Um, but uh, I, I pretty much shop on price, though it does mean I'm going to have a couple of bridges floating around. Um, but I'm a big fan of focusing on things that actually have a bridge, because my parents have one uh, EVE smart outlet. It is quite old, but it frequently does not respond, and it connects to um, the, the HomeKit hub via Bluetooth, uh, which is quite flaky, and it basically builds its own connection. And I found if it's using a bridge, then of course everything connects to the bridge, but they usually bridge between each other and you end up with a, a, a very stable setup uh, by doing that. So Alex, what about you and platforms? You're a HomeKit person, but have, did you consciously make that decision and have you had to think about the things that you bought in order to be HomeKit compatible? And have you ever wished that you made another choice or, or how's that been for well, you? I originally started with HomeKit because I already had the iPhone. I've had that since, I don't know, 2012, I think. So I've been an Apple person since I started my smartphone journey. Um, HomeKit just sort of seemed like a natural fit. But the other side of that is perhaps I'm naive, but I've always trusted Apple a tiny bit more than other corporations as far as privacy and security. And they do more vetting and they're more careful than what they allow to be HomeKit certified. And insofar as anyone can trust a multi-trillion whatever dollar corporation, you know, I'll trust Apple a little more than Google or any of the other ones. So I focused on their products also because of the increased security that they hopefully offer me. Um, they do tend to cost a bit more, but I usually find that that's, well, I guess worth it, <laughs> I hope. Um, and it's not too bad, especially for the lower end, you know, outlets or plugs, um, some of the smart bulbs. And the Hue, of course, doesn't, you know, it's its own pricing anyway. You're not really paying for anything specifically. You're paying more for the Hue brand. 
and they work with everything. But at the same time, I've also tried at least as much as I can to buy things that say they're compatible with HomeKit as well as the other platforms. So if I want to set it up with the Echo someday, I have the flexibility to do that. I've only got a few products. Um, I think the Eve products are the only ones that don't work with other platforms as well. Um, and I, I don't really plan on switching to Android, so Google isn't a, a focus for me. But I would definitely like to set things up with Amazon at some point, simply because control through Siri works pretty well, um, but it can be a little bit slow. Um, it's often just a lot more convenient to tell your Echo to do something because it's better at listening. It's always there. You don't have to you know, raise your wrist, pull your phone out, whatever it is. If you have an Echo speaker somewhere, you can just talk. So it's more convenient that way. So I do... I wish I could trust, I guess, Amazon enough to give it my entire home setup. I'm just not quite there yet. And the other side of that is I found, at least on iOS, the Echo app is a little bit strange sometimes. The setup process when you're setting up smart home devices is a lot simpler through HomeKit than it is through at least Echo. I, I don't know about Google, of course, but uh, I just find the accessibility a bit easier and I find the the pricing isn't too bad. So I mainly focus on HomeKit, but if I were going to go to another platform or set up another one in parallel, I guess, you, you can do more than one at the same time. It would definitely be Amazon's Echo. It's basically the same for me. I did previously, in a, where I was living before, toy with Homebridge, and there's an uh, Alexa plugin for it. Um, and I hopefully said that badly enough that nobody's uh, smart home device responded. Uh, I was just thinking about whether to beep those out. I've never done that, but it occurred to me. I should... <laughs> well, it, it depends on, because you can use different trigger words for these, which is quite cool, which is something you can do with a HomePod. Um, and I, I do wish that you, you could, you know, pick your custom phrase. And I have experimented before with getting all the stuff onto my Echo. Um, and, you know, it's pretty cool because I have the the Echo Dot in the kitchen. I have a Sonos one in the bedroom, which pretty much lives its entire life on mute um, because I'm not 100% sold on having a speaker in my bedroom, especially one where I don't know how much I can trust the company behind it. I have not done analysis as to whether or not I can really trust Amazon or Google or Apple, though I do get the impression that I can trust Apple more than the others but you know i could be mistaken with that but i'm hoping i'm not <laughs> as people who've been shopping for home automation tech recently i wonder what is sort of new and up and coming from what rose was saying it sounds to me like there are just more choices at lower price points which is nice because yeah i started with hue as well and probably didn't get as far with them because i just couldn't stomach the price so i put them in the most important places to me and and need to do some research about alternatives that are less expensive but are there other either new kinds of devices or other trends in home automation devices that you're seeing that are interesting to you Either of you? I'm seeing a lot more sensors available at the moment. So uh, I, I think this is partially because it's what I'm looking for. And if you don't go looking for it, then, you know, you, you'll never know it exists because especially some of these brands that you find on Amazon, you, you've just never heard of them before. Um, and, and the algorithms will help you find them. Oh, yes, that. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I've been looking for sort of temperature sensors, humidity sensors, vibration sensors. In case people can't tell, I'm trying to figure out how to automate my washing machine and my tumble dryer um, because, you know, it would be nice to know where my laundry done with a push notification instead of going into the kitchen and going, wait, was I doing laundry? Oh, yes, yesterday. Darn it. It 
it's still there and I have to wash it again. Um, I, fortunately, I've mostly been forgetting things in the dryer recently, but it, it's a problem that I'd like to solve uh, with smart stuff. And so I've been finding that there are way more sensors out there than I thought, and they're actually much more affordable than I thought as well. They're about $10 for a vibration sensor. Um, and I was there going, hmm, how many of these do I need? So I just ordered three uh, because they'll take a little while to come. I could have bought them on Amazon. It would have been cheaper. They would have been here you know, within a week, but I am still in the process of redecorating. There was carpet up when I left home to come and podcast today. Um, so I, I'm, I'm thinking that the end of the month when they get here from China directly and a bit cheaper is fine by me. Um, but I'm seeing a lot more of that. And also that, uh, you know, different companies are starting to offer the same sort of thing. So if you don't just have to go Hue for the lights, you could also go with the IKEA things, or there's also uh, Nanoleaf who are offering some very funky looking lights. Um, and a lot of other companies are just sort of starting to, to offer the same sort of things, which doesn't necessarily mean a different price point. Some of these things are pretty much exactly the same price. So you just kind of have to roll a dice and decide which one you're going to go with. Um, but it does mean that there's more choice, um, which is good because um, especially if you're just getting started, you probably don't want to be spending um, like $125 on a bridge and then $55 on a light switch to automate the lights in one room, which is what I was considering before I decided that I was going to go with the Hue lights um, and just get some light switch covers, which were about $10, um, which are considerably cheaper when you already own the light bulbs. Um, and also the Hue bridge can be used for other things like my motion sensors. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just seeing more things um you know, become available. Eufy, E-U-F-Y, they're owned by Anchor. They're starting to offer a lot more things, but some of their recent um, releases are not yet HomeKit compatible. And as many people uh, have, will have found out previously, such as the Ring Doorbell, just because HomeKit support is promised does not mean that you will actually get it. Um, and so uh, it, it's one of those things where you may have to either wait some time or just don't buy it until it actually offers the integration with the platform one of the big focuses I've seen lately in terms of different devices isn't so much new categories, partly because Apple hasn't added new categories recently. Well, they've added TV sticks, but that seems to be more for the Roku stuff. Um, but it's things are getting smaller. So when I first got my smart outlets, they would take up a full outlet and then stick far enough out that you couldn't plug anything into the other outlet in a, a two outlet setup. But now they're thin enough, that's not a problem. But as they got thinner, they got wider. <laughs> well, now the the latest ones that I've heard of anyway, I haven't gotten any yet, are not only thinner, but they're narrower. They're smaller all the way around. Um, you, you know, the the first smart lock, the August, at least the home, the first HomeKit one, was this big cylinder that would go onto the inside of your door, replacing the inside door lock. And it worked great, uh, but it was pretty big. And now, you know, the the level lock is a smart lock that's just as capable, except it literally goes inside your door. So everything fits in there. The battery is inside the deadbolt. Everything's hidden away. So not everything's smaller, but a lot of things seem to be moving in that direction, which is really neat to see. Um, some of the prices are coming down. I know um, Eufy was just brought up, which I've got a few of those cameras as, as well. And coming from before they released these, the best or the uh, cheapest HomeKit cameras were, I think, over $100. And now, while HomeKit isn't across all of Eufy's cameras yet, it has come to their cheap $40 or $50 ones, which is also really nice to see. And it's got the HomeKit secure video and all the, the latest features on it. 
So that's also really nice. There are certainly emissions still. You know, there aren't a whole lot of HomeKit secure video doorbells. Um, for some reason, a lot of companies don't want to go into the air conditioners or the ceiling fans. There's only one or two of those, but things seem to be coming out more. Um, as, as Rose was saying, sensors are definitely there. The Acara sensors are really nice if you can get those and if you've already got the bridge for that. So certainly things, not everything's coming down in price, but some things are. And it seems to me that a lot of people are now focusing on the look and the size of things, which is nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely seeing that too. Like the IKEA trot-free outlets that I got, uh, they are the sort that would extend down and theoretically block something underneath. But here in the UK and also in Austria, sockets are adjacent to one another. So that's not actually a problem for me. But I, I mean, I could see why that might be a problem uh, in the US where you have one socket on top of another, but uh, you could always flip one up down, I suppose. Yeah, I've had to put a smart plug on a, a power strip at one point and it was like, wait, this seems, <laughs> this seems wrong. But <laughs> So let's talk about software a little bit. We, we, we touched on it briefly in terms of configuration inside the Echo app, the Amazon app, for example, which I find ridiculously complex. That just seems like a software interface issue. But I'm wondering if either of you have done anything with software in terms of conditional automation, you know, whether whether it be the software like HomeKit, the Home app on Apple platforms, or other software that makes it possible for you to do uh, conditional automations and, and how well that's worked if you've done it. And I, I want to talk about shortcuts specifically in a little bit, but but are, have you done anything on the software side? Both of you are, are nerds, have some programming in your background, so. <laughs> well, um, the default HomeKit app, just called Home on Apple's devices, is of course where you'd start and that's where you add everything. It has automations, but they're not, they're kind of limited and I've never really understood why. HomeKit as a platform allows you to do more than the Home app does. So then you get into the third party apps. The best two that I've found so far are Home Plus, which is a paid app. It's I think 10 or $15. Um, and apparently it looks really nice visually. It's a lot nicer of an interface. But the reason that I got it is it offers the full suite of HomeKit's automation abilities. It doesn't hold anything back like Home does. So you can do more conditional stuff. You can add conditions, um, you know, times of day, people, all that kind of stuff. You can delay things. You can, you can just do a lot more. You can add more conditions. You can have and or conditions. Um, so if you're a little bit technical and you like really customizing how things happen, it's a way better app to use, at least I find. Um, the other one is the Eve app, believe it or not, is actually really good. Um, it's almost as powerful in the automation department. And at least last I checked, it was also very accessible. So both of these aren't quite as good if you just want to open them up and see if your lights are on. That's The home app is really best for that, or there are a few other ones possibly. But automations and accessibility, those two are pretty well represented with Eve and Home Plus, as far as I can tell anyway. Those are the really the two that I've experimented with so far. I would agree. Both uh, the Home Plus app and e and the Eve app are great. I personally prefer the Home Plus app. Um, I think that's just because I use a couple of the apps that this developer creates, and he's a nice person to chat to when you send him an email about <laughs> something. You go, hey, this doesn't appear to be working quite right or something, uh, because... Uh, 
my life is a beta, so I am, of course, beta testing the app. And a couple of uh, versions ago, there were a couple of words in German in, in the English version. I was looking at it going, hmm, I think something got missed in the translation files here. <laughs> yeah, Well, that that's what betas are for, right? So that people can send feedback on stuff and it was fixed in the next version. So it's all good. Um, but I find that that app is great. Um, and I, you know, we'll get to the shortcut support a bit more in a minute, but I find that in many ways, I don't really need to go any further than, um, you know, the, the Home Plus app because it has all of the ands and the ifs and the ors that I might expect for the vast majority of use cases. Um, and, you know, being able to tie things into other stuff that happens on my phone is is great. And that's where shortcuts really plays a role. But just actually making my home smart generally um, instead of specifically for me, the Home Plus app you know, it delivers everything that I'm looking for. And I, I can I can tell you it is definitely a pretty app. Um, you know, it looks like you would expect an Apple app to look. This is what I would like the home app to look like. Uh, if I just want to check the status of my lights, I honestly just swipe down into Control Center. Um, and uh, at the moment, it's showing me my parents' home because that's where I am for recording today because of the uh, redecorating and the carpet being up um, and everything. But uh, if I was at home, then it would be showing me, you know, my bedroom blind and my office blind and my overhead lights in a couple of different rooms and and things like that. So that's that's how I check on things. But if I want to actually make stuff happen and make it magical, then I turn to the Home Plus app. Well, let's talk about shortcuts. And and Rose, I guess uh, you're the expert here, having just completed an update to take control of shortcuts. But I guess let's start with what, if anything, iOS 14 has done for sh- shortcuts in a home automation context, and then just what what you're excited about that shortcuts can do in terms of home automation. Well, one of the big things that iOS 14 brought about was a better automation support for shortcuts generally, which means that, for example, at 9 p.m., my phone can automatically do things, um, and it will just do it. So what I do, um, getting your actual physical location can take a while. So there are a couple of hacks to work around this. Uh, you could either get the weather for where you are and get the location from that, or I just check the name of my Wi-Fi. If I'm at home and I'm on my home Wi-Fi, um, then it can do things. Um, and that is great because I have it check my calendar at specific points of the day and change the lighting and things for me based on what's happening in my day. I usually end up podcasting in the evening because I'm talking to some lovely people in the US um, who are enjoying their day. Um, And so it it makes sure that the lights are on in my office and the blind is down and things like that um, based on, you know, what's actually happening in my calendar, which is great. But the thing that I've added the most recently, which I love so much, is when I turn my wake up alarm off, it opens my blind in my bedroom. Um, And unfortunately, as winter is coming, uh, there will be less and less daylight coming in through the the then open blind behind the curtain, um, which lets some light through. But uh, in the summer, that's going to be great because I do love, uh, you know, having sunlight to help me wake up in the morning. And I'm not very good at waking up in the morning. I'm not a great morning person, I have to say. Um, so being able to do that through shortcuts is great because, you know, I just turn off my alarm and stuff magically happens. You know, lights are turned on in preparation for me going about my day and it reminds me what's going to happen on my calendar. And it opens my blind, um, which is just perfect. And did you make shortcuts to do those things, or are they based on the gallery shortcuts? And I guess a subsidiary to that question would be, does the gallery of shortcuts provided by iOS give you any cool home automation options to 
customers. Not really. Unfortunately, the gallery option for uh, shortcuts for home automation is not great. They've overhauled the gallery in iOS 14, so there's a whole bunch of starter shortcuts, including four installed on your device. But I think that they're just assuming that um, HomeKit setups are unique to you and in, in your household. Um, and so you... You know, if they ship something that says, hey, turn on my bedroom light, and then it turns on the the light in your child's room at six o'clock in the morning when you were really hoping to get up at six and that your kids wouldn't get up until eight, then that might ruin your day. Um, you know, it probably wouldn't because hopefully you love your children. But I, I can see why they, they wouldn't necessarily be shipping examples. I am pretty much exclusively just using the control home action. And then in that, I can select what devices I want to control and what I want to do with them. Um, and I just use one control home action and just put all my devices in there and set them to the state that I like. So they're mostly for you based on time of day or related things like yeah. calendar, but I assume you could do other things like some condition of some other thing, some other activity kicking off on your phone. Like I think you mentioned before, if the phone rings, something happens. Or yeah, I, if, I actually um, press a button on, on yeah. my Mac to, to, to make sure that the dehumidifier is off and the music is paused. Um, and that's just one button that goes off and, and does magic for me. Um, uh, if, if the phone rings, unfortunately, for whatever reason, the phone ringing is not an automation that you can run on iOS. It's not a trigger that you can set up. You can set something up based on an email arriving or a message arriving, but they won't run entirely automatically. It'll say, hey, would you like to to you know run your automation, which I feel kind of defeats the point. Um, but um, I do have something set up based on me starting workouts, like on my Apple Watch, it will make sure that you know there's enough light in the living room and things like that for me. And it will also turn on the heater in my bedroom uh, because I discovered that after I do my workout, I go and shower and the last thing I want to do is get out of the shower and go into a very cold bedroom to get dressed. Uh, so I've, I've been trying to make my life easier and uh, it is helping actually. It's surprising how much these little things can help. Um, the other thing I do a lot is NFC tags. Um, and so I have an NFC tag in my car, which I scan when I start driving and I scan when I stop driving. And when I stop driving, it checks if I'm at home because I should be on the home Wi-Fi um, uh, by then because my parking space is right outside. Um, and then uh, it will you know, turn on a couple of lights for me and everything. So I'm not going inside into the dark. Uh, I go into a nice light area, which is great. Alex, what's your use of shortcuts, and has it changed since iOS 14? We use we use a lot more automations than shortcuts, I think. Um, I definitely have a couple of those NFC tags as well. They're pretty handy. Um, shortcuts, the, one of the things that I found, though, is they make toggling a bit easier. For whatever strange reason, one of the, the really weird omissions that Apple has never, ever fixed is you can turn things on, you can turn things off, you can't just toggle the state. If it's on, turn it off, or if it's off, turn it on. I don't know why that is, but you can make a shortcut to sort of simulate that, and that's what I've done for my tags. So the one on my nightstand currently um, toggles my ceiling fan, and the one on, on the desk here currently toggles the air conditioner. Um, of course, those will change as the fall moves into winter, and we don't so much need air conditioners anymore. But I've got those... Um, Shortcuts. Oh, yes. I also use a shortcut for my air conditioning control in the bedroom here. If it's before a certain time and after another certain time, in other words, if it's kind of during the day and the temperature's above a certain amount, <clears throat> um, turn the air conditioner on. 
and if it's below it, turn it off. And then at night, the conditions the conditions change a bit so that it keeps it cooler at night than it does during the day. That way, the air conditioning kicks on less often during the day because it's rather loud. And I work from home, so it's a little irritating to have that buzzing all the time in the background. So stuff like that. Um, I don't have the setup yet, but I could. I want to add it so that if either of the windows is open, the air conditioning doesn't turn on at all, no matter how warm it gets, you know, things like that. Um, but as I said, a lot of the stuff that I use is more currently more through home automation than the actual shortcuts. And I definitely want to get into more, like um, as Rose was saying, the when your alarm goes off or when you go to bed, those sorts of things would be extremely useful as well. I just haven't come up with any really compelling use cases yet to go digging into it. But uh, iOS 14, I don't think has really changed too much for me. Um, it will be nice. Some things in the past that came up and asked, hey, do you want to run this automation? And you hit yes, because of course you do. Don't ask me ever again. They now don't ask you ever again, which is really nice to have. Um, I just haven't found any specific use cases for for me quite yet, but it will be nice to not have those irritating pop-ups all the time when and if I set those up. Do either of you control any HomeKit automations from Apple TV? Because that exists, but it's not something I've ever done. And it seems like it would be a good idea, but I tend to find it a little easier to do on my phone. But that's just I have never tried it on my Apple TV. The closest I've come is using my Logitech Harmony because it will, if I, if I start movie mode, then it dims the lights and things and switches the TV um, and, and so on. Um, but I've never actually, I don't think I've ever once tried to control a HomeKit device from my Apple TV because I would have to pick up the remote, press the Siri button, and then talk to it. Whereas I could just pick up my phone and swipe down into Control Center, and it's almost certainly what I'm looking for is going to be right there. Um, and if I'm not, if it's not, then I'm a tap away from the Home app where I can toggle something. Yeah, sort of a similar case for me. We don't use our Apple TV all that much to begin with. Um, it's great as a home hub, of course, which is you need a hub if you're going to run all these automations that we're talking about. Um, and that can be a home pod or an Apple TV or a, I think an iPad even. But apart from that, we don't use the Apple TV all that often, which means that while the remote is always around, the Apple TV itself doesn't have control of the TV. So you can't hear the output anyway. So pretty much everyone in the house just uses their phone or their watch. Um, personally, I find it easiest to just hello Siri, my my Apple Watch, because I've always got it on my wrist anyway. So that tends to be the way, the main way that I control my stuff. But uh, now we don't tend to use the Apple TV. I have a HomePod right next to my TV, actually. So I can also, if I if I want to talk to something, if I'm not wearing my Apple Watch or my phone is not available, then I, I have yet another device that I can <laughs> talk to. Um, and if that doesn't work, I can always yell into the kitchen at my, my Echo Dot and uh, fortunately, it is connected to my Hue lights, uh, which are the primary thing that I might want to turn on and off. But I've also just put like physical buttons in a lot of places. I have a couple of very cheap photo frames from Ikea, um, which I've literally just stuck the mounts for the, the buttons that I bought from Ikea um, onto um, with little labels underneath them because it's guest friendly, which is good. Um, and it's also, um, you know, I don't have a device handy and I don't feel like talking, I can just press this button and voila, the thing does what I expect it to. And honestly, that's one of the reasons that I've started to move away from the smart light bulbs and into more of the light switches. You mentioned guest friendliness and that's sort of 
something that's always been in the back of my mind as I've been building this stuff out. If you have an outlet connected to your lamp and someone who doesn't realize just goes and turns the lamp off with the lamp's switch itself, well, your your outlet isn't going to do you any good. So I've started to use more of the in-wall switches, um, which basically lets me, me who does not have all the hue lights, um, lets me let anyone control the lights just like you'd normally think of, you know, pressing the switch and it just works. But it's still under HomeKit's control. It, it doesn't turn off at the source and now HomeKit can't do anything about it, uh, which is kind of an interesting thing to think of. You know, you've got to know, am I going to have guests all the time who have no idea what all this HomeKit stuff is? Or am I the only one here? And so I don't have to worry about it. And that can kind of inform some of the things you end up buying. In my case, I'm pretty much the only person in my place, except, you know, occasionally my parents come over and visit. I am hoping to have guests more after a certain global pandemic has ended, but that may take <laughs> some time. Uh, you know, I've been reliably informed that it's not going to disappear like magic, unfortunately. Um, but I, I decided that I wanted to cover my light switches with, um, I've just got light switch covers that they, they were really cheap on Amazon and the Philips Hue remotes, um, the four button ones just magnetize straight into that, which is great because then there's a, a, a physical button there that regular people can look at and they'll figure out, okay, top button's probably on the button problem button's probably off and Hey, the two middle buttons are dimmers. Oh, this is easy. Um, and the fact that it conveniently controls my lamp as well, that has no buttons on it. Um, it's, is great. Um, and I can also then pick up the remote and take it over to the TV if I want to, you know, sit there and veg out for a while and be able to control the lights from a remote control instead of my phone or my watch or my home pod or my Apple TV, which I kind of forgot that could do. Guest friendliness and family friendliness is kind of a fascinating thing to, to me. I live with one other person who's equally as technical as I am and who would be involved in setting up the automation. We don't have a lot of guests, especially nowadays. But I and I and maybe Alex, you're going to have to answer on this one. But but I I guess I wonder if you're in an environment where you're creating automations that other people either have to live with because it's your toy or that you actually want them to benefit from. You know, what do you do to sort of make those things accessible to people who didn't set it up and don't know all the ins and outs of how it works? <laughs> um, they just come crying to me and I fix it <laughs> basically. <laughs> I mean, that's, well, that's that. a great solution. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, yeah. I'm aiming for this stuff is magic and it just works, um, which obviously is going to take yeah. a lot of work. But this is why I've got a motion sensor for pretty much every single room, uh, because then if you walk into the room, the motion sensor, the Philips Hue ones are great. They can detect light level, the temperature um, and also motion, uh, which you would expect from a motion sensor, but you never know. Um, but I, I want, you know, it to go, hey, oh, it's dark in here. Turn on the light. And so you sort of you start walking yeah. into a room and the lights just come on. So you don't have to figure out how do I turn the lights on because they're on. Um, and then and then yeah, you leave and, the room and, then, and they're off um, or they go off like five, ten minutes later or something like that, which is also, you know, a, a bit of a money saver because you're not, you know, lighting up the entire house the entire time. And that was one of my goals. There's a, a storage room type thing that we have downstairs. And that was exactly my goal. If you walk in the motion sensor, we actually use uh, one of the Akara ones, which works really well, except for the caveat I'll get to here. When you walk in, the lights turn on. Um, it's just a basic overhead light with a, an in-wall smart switch. And then when the motion sensor stops detecting motion, the lights go back off. That works, except I forgot some people in the house are short. <laughs> So sometimes the motion sensor will stop detecting That's motion. Hilarious. 
Dad, and it's dark. There and, <laughs> exactly. They're waving their hands. It's like, why won't it come on? And then I just have to poke my head around and boop, yeah. it's right there. So the weird thing, though, is not all motion sensors are created equally. And I didn't realize this for the longest time. Um, and the HomeKit subreddit, I think Rose might have mentioned it, is actually a really good place for questions about all this stuff, especially HomeKit. Turns out a motion sensor can sense motion. Some of them, every time they sense motion, they will kind of update their their yeah. timeout. And then, you know, when they stop sensing motion, that timer resets every time. The one that I've got seems to be the other kind. It starts sensing motion and then it counts down whether or not there's motion in between the the first bit and then when it decides it's done. So it would work fine if I had the other kind, but I I don't currently. And I didn't realize I, there was that I difference. I did not originally realize that difference when I got my very first Philips Hue motion sensor. Um, but then I was doing a lot of research because I was just going to get the IKEA motion sensors. And I remembered that the Philips Hue ones can detect the light level and the temperature and thought that's going to be useful because at least in two rooms, I need some smart outlets to control my, my heating. And it would be good to if I actually knew the temperature in these rooms. And also I want the light level. And yeah, I need a motion sensor. So I went with the Philips Hue and discovered that they are the ones where they just update their state us every time. Uh, they are more expensive, um, unfortunately, but for that, you don't have the uh, I've seen motion and I'm just going to start counting down right now. Um, the, you know, it's I see motion, I see yeah. motion, I see motion. I do not see motion. And now I will start my countdown. Um, and then, you know, rockets launch, fireworks go off and the Christmas tree randomly appears, even though it's July. I'm not quite sure about that. Well, that's an automation uh, I haven't well, tried yet. I, I bought smart outlets uh, two days ago for my Christmas tree uh, because I was in <laughs> Ikea and I know that their smart outlets work really well for me now. So I just got another two. I got one for the tree and one for some lights, which are yet to be purchased, but I'm going to get some lights and uh, connect it all up. Shelly, to return to your question a bit earlier, um, the way that I make sure that automations are basically going to work for everyone is I started out just recreating things that we already did. You know, I noticed every time it gets dark, someone or other will go through the living room and turn on these two lamps. So I automated that, you know, every morning someone turns on the coffee pot. So I automated that and it's just kind of built out from there. And I, I try to make sure that what we modify can be still manually controlled. Um, as I mentioned earlier, that way it's not, if you go into the basement, you have to, you know, have the lights kick on for through the motion sensor. You don't have a choice. Um, instead, what I've done is the switches are smart or they're set up in such a way that you can still flip the the manual switch somewhere. You know, if it's automated and it works, it's perfect. But if not, there's still sort of a manual way to do it yeah, just in yeah, case. Definitely. I agree with that. And uh, I've, I've been, that's why I was trying to figure out the Philips Hue stuff, because uh, you can have Philips Hue automatically turn back on. Uh, after the power has been interrupted, which means that if somebody turns the switch off, oh, it's still dark, and they turn it on again, then it will be bright lights, uh, which is great for that particular scenario. If you have power fluctuations in the middle of the night, and then you wake up because all of the lights in your house are on, like, you know, burning your retinas, um, that that's not so much fun. So that's why, uh, yeah, you need to try and make this um, yeah. as other people friendly as possible, because it will also help you in the long run. <laughs> Well, this is, for me anyway, a, a good segue to the accessibility sprinkles portion of the program because a lot of what accessibility is about, and I, I'm dividing accessibility here into two categories. One, improving one's life through 
accessible automation. In, in other words, doing th- making. Let's start again. I'm dividing accessibility into two categories, how you use automation to do things that you either cannot do or can do better with automation than you can without. And then the other category is how accessible is putting together and using the automation. So on the first topic, I just wrote down a bunch of sort of functions that somebody who has an accessibility need might use automation for. And I'd be happy to hear you guys, uh, your thoughts on it. And Alex, especially if you've integrated any specific accessibility into the way you do automation. Um, But for example, if you have a cognitive disability or maybe you're an older person, there are all sorts of opportunities for reminders to take medication or to perform some sort of activity that you might not otherwise be able to do. Uh, uh, Actions around things like turning lights on and off to help other folks in the house when you as a, a person with a cognitive disability, it might not occur to you that that needs to happen. Lighting is a big thing, of course, if you're blind or visually impaired, because you may not need those lights, but the other people in your home might need them, or you may not know, and this is from personal experience of a dear friend of mine who uh, lived alone and was blind, and he never needed to turn on lights, and so when guests would come over, they didn't know whether it was rude to turn the light on, or they would leave the light on, and then it would stay on for two weeks, and nobody would know, so... um, uh, then, so the, and then uh, for hearing impairment, there are features both within uh, operating systems like iOS and within and within automation tools that can turn what would be audible alerts into uh, light-based alerts, that sort of thing. For motor disabilities, obviously, if you have difficulty reaching a light switch or even manipulating the switch, automation makes it possible to eliminate having to interact in that way. Same thing with opening doors and sensors and that sort of thing. So there's also sorts of accessibility specific things that someone might do with automation. And I I guess I'm wondering if, uh, let's start with you, Alex, but have you implemented anything that helps your own accessibility in your house? Well, you covered a lot of it. Um, I guess this uh, first one isn't so much accessibility related for me, but I can certainly see it being so for others. Uh, we well the the backlog is currently actually broken. I have to replace it, but I'll just talk about this as though it weren't broken, because it didn't used to be. But we have smart locks on the on the front and back doors, so if you possibly have some memory problems or you know whatever the the case may be, our lock setup is basically it's impossible to always or to accidentally leave things unlocked. Whenever either one of the locks is unlocked, it'll relock itself after five minutes. So as long as the door is closed, even if you leave and don't do anything, your house will be locked back up. When you come home, it's open, so you don't have to worry about, you know, messing with a key or even talking to anything. It just happens automatically. So just a a bit of extra security there. Um, The other kind of accessibility thing that comes to mind for me, at least, is a bit of an odd one, but uh, at some point a couple of years ago, I was actually in a lift and the driver was having some trouble finding which house was mine. Um, so what I ended up doing was taking my phone out and turning the porch light on and off repeatedly. And then I just said, hey, just look for the, the light that's going on and off. That's the house. So not really an accessibility thing in so much for me, but where I couldn't point out which house was mine as we went by it, all I had to do was control the lights and he was able to find it right away. And it just made life a lot easier. So not something that's going to happen all the time, but I was certainly happy to have it right then. 
I've actually seen something similar to that frequently posted on Reddit where people say to the pizza delivery driver, it's the red house. And then they turn the outside lights of their house red uh, so that the pizza delivery driver could, you know, they're not trying to look for the number because especially street like door numbers, there, there can be difficult to see from the street in the dark if it's raining and things like that. So just being able to light up your house in fun colors, as well as a great way to celebrate different times of the year, you know, it's also, you know, helpful for people regardless. I've been experimenting a lot with door sensors. Um, and things like that, um, because I would like to know whether or not my doors are open or closed. Um, I have an outside storage cupboard, which is mine, and I need to make sure that the door is actually closed so that it locks. Um, and knowing that uh, I can just see inside of an app whether or not, yeah, I really did close the door, it's fine, uh, is great. I, I think I'm going to have to steal from you, Alex, though, because that the be- being able to make sure that the door is locked. Uh, so one of my doors, it just automatically locks. That's the way the lock is set up. It's pretty much impossible to leave it unlocked. Uh, but the other door, I have to manually put in a key and and lock it, and I'm not 100% happy with that. So I think I'm going to be getting a smart lock for that. You've just sold me on that because, I mean, I <laughs> I, I just forget things. Um, I'm busy. I have my hands full. There are a bunch of things. A number of times I started driving up the road and then been like, wait, did I actually lock the door and have to stop my car, like, in the middle of the car park um, that's outside of my place and then go back with a key and, oh, yeah, it is locked. Okay, well, great. I just wasted two minutes, but I know my house is locked. Just having it automatically lock would be great. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm going to be taking a leaf out of your book there. Uh, the other accessibility related thing that just popped into my head is actually thermostats. Um, I don't know if maybe I just haven't experimented enough, but I've never found a thermostat that's really accessible unless it's one of those old manual ones that it's kind of hard to find nowadays, but all the ones with the little arrows that you can press, they just have the screen, you know, none of that stuff is really going to work well. So not only does automation let you put a temperature sensor somewhere and know how warm your house is, but it actually lets you control the temperature. You can just tell Siri or whatever it is, you know, set the temperature to 71 degrees. Um, You can automate it, of course, you know, so it is warmer during the day than at night, whatever you want. But just being able to set the temperature in the first place is something that, at least if you have a visual impairment, might be a bit more difficult. And with a smart thermostat, it's a lot simpler. Yeah, that's actually, I might actually steal a version of that from you, Alex, because uh, we outfitted my mother with a Nest thermostat, and she has macular mm. degeneration, age-related, and she is having increasing difficulty seeing the thermostat, but more she's having trouble with the Nest app. And we'll talk about accessibility of, of apps shortly. But so what we do is we actually remote control her air conditioning and heating from our house. We have it set on a schedule, but sometimes she'll call and she'll say the house is cold or the house is hot. And it's my husband's job from his phone to control her house. And a temperature sensor would probably save a lot of those issues. And so I may be having to put one Yeah, it in. should hopefully give her back some of her independence as well, because I know that's one totally. of the things that, right. you know, my, my grandmother, um, she has two iPads. She is very technologically inclined, but she always wants to be able to do things herself. Um, and I think that goes for everybody. You know, you, you don't want to have to be reliant on other people and if home automation can can give you some of that independence that you know everybody deserves to have then that's an amazing absolutely and one last topic on the accessibility of content of automation that i had included but not mentioned before was just safety and security the idea that as you say you can automate whether doors are locked and be comfortable that that they are but one topic we haven't covered in in general is things like cameras and security systems. And I'm, I'm wondering if either of you have, have used those or feel like that those are things that you 
uh, want to automate. And I had them in the accessibility category just for that reason, because I, uh, back before we knew as much about Ring Doorbell as we do now, I had wanted to get one because I don't want to go to the door and open it to somebody whose face I don't recognize. And I would like to be able to sort of uh, triage my guests and say, do I want to go and answer the door for that person? And I never ended up getting a ring because of all the terrible things we know about that specific device. But uh, cameras, security systems? I couldn't put a camera up where I can't be sure it's not infringing on somebody else's privacy. So I live in a, an apartment building, um, and I mean, there are only four apartments in my apartment building, but that means that the the hallway directly outside of, of my front door is shared with three other, you know, occupants. Um, and then there's a, a doorbell to get into that with an intercom system. So I am looking at getting, um, I think, Nuki and UKI, they have a, an intercom system that you can integrate with, but it's not a video uh, system that I have. Um, so I would just be getting push notifications for things like that. Um, but um, if, if I put a camera anywhere outside of my property, then other people who also live here um, would end up being recorded by it. And I'm not sure they'd be okay with that. I'd have to ask them. Um, and I couldn't find a HomeKit doorbell that was not video. Um, I believe there was one, but it's currently not available on Amazon UK. Um, and I decided that it was just going to be an awful lot of work to try and set that up uh, when uh, I already have an intercom system. So I've decided that for now, I'm staying away from the cameras. I don't particularly want cameras inside of my place, especially after seeing uh, some intriguing security practices from companies. Uh, Aga is one that I distinctly remember. You could turn on the preheat function of anybody's oven anywhere in the world, uh, which was somewhat terrifying. Um, and so, if you know, if I know that some, you know, most of the companies doing this stuff are good, uh, but every so often there, there's a rogue company out there and it's like, yep, and now all the videos from everybody who has whatever device this is are leaked on the internet. Good luck with that. I'm there. I've decided that for the time being, I'm fine with no cameras, uh, but I can see the benefits of them. We have a lot of the Eufy stuff, actually. We had we had Wise cams before, which always made me a little bit nervous just because Wise, I don't know, they were a, they were a bit of a smaller company. The cameras were really cheap and I kind of wondered what else am I subsidizing this price with? But they we, we got them sort of as an experiment just to see if it was something we were interested in. And when Eufy came out with their cheap HomeKit compatible indoor cams, their 2K cams, uh, we got a few of those on launch day pricing. And then a little while later, we actually ended up with their wireless doorbell as well. And the other, the sighted people in the house use those, of course, a lot more than I do. But I do like the person notifications from the doorbell, even though I can't see who it is, at least knowing that someone was there or is there right now when this is coming in is useful. So it'll give me a notification if, you know, the delivery person walks up and drops off a package. So I'll at least know, oh, I was not expecting anyone. I know no one came to the door. I got a notification. Oh, it's probably a package. I'll go check it out. And if I need it, you know, the, the clips are there. If I have to send them to someone else and have them, you know, ask them what happened during this, at least I've got the footage if I need it. So while I do share the security concerns, um, I guess a lot of our stuff points into less sensitive areas. We don't, of course, have any cameras in the bedrooms or anything like that. You know, we have one facing out toward the driveway. We have the doorbell. Um, one's in the kitchen just to keep an eye on things there so that can see the back door as well. Um, so they're more for 
security than than internal use. And I guess we're com- comfortable enough with that that you know we're willing to risk the possible concerns down the line. But having having those is nice. Now, one of the things that HomeKit has actually introduced this year that we're sort of waiting on because you need HomeKit Secure Video to take advantage of it is facial recognition. If you give it pictures of the people that you interact with a lot, say you gave those to HomeKit and your doorbell had this feature enabled, then instead of just saying a person was detected, you could actually hear or you know get in the notification, John is at the door, you know, whoever it is. And that would be really nice, especially for me where I can't see who was at the door. If HomeKit could figure it out on its own and let me know, um, that that would be great. Now, again, HomeKit doorbells are either really expensive and or lack features that you would expect them to have. So that's sort of a space where everyone's waiting on companies to catch up. Hopefully it'll come soon. But as far as I know, it's not here yet. I'm hoping it comes to Eufy because we have that already. That'd be nice. Um, and they've already added HomeKit to some of their other stuff. But uh, there's there's some nice features around home security, even if you can't see the streams. You know, you've got the two-way audio as well. If you have to talk to someone through a camera or through the doorbell. So there are some nice to haves there that I don't personally use a lot, but I do like knowing that they're there if I need them. Well, let's talk about the accessibility of HomeKit and other automation apps and and tools. We we talked a little bit about it earlier on, and I think we agreed that Echo is the Echo app, or I guess it's the A Lady app, uh, is that the actual name of it on iOS? It's not that it's inaccessible, but it is. Complex in terms of setting up routines and the like, and I perceive Home and the other related apps to do with Apple to be just straightforwardly accessible to screen readers. But Alex, what is your experience with accessibility on on software? Are there are there apps or are there platforms that are particularly inaccessible that people should probably avoid if that's a need of theirs? As as you said. Um, the Echo one is really the only other one that I've tried. Again, I haven't tried to set anything up through Google, either the iOS app or through Android. But I found it just as confusing as you did. I mean, any app where there are two different places you can enter a settings screen and those two screens are totally different, that's not a really well-designed app in my mind anyway. And when you try to add a new device, even a new Echo, a new speaker, you have to you know, set it up, of course, and then you have to go through and tell it where it is. And there are just so many screens to it. And there's a lot of scrolling. And at least in the past, there have been some strange voiceover focus issues. It's just not a good experience in general. And if you go in to try to change anything, um, even just basic echo settings, those are more doable. But then when you start to get into the weeds of grouping speakers, all that kind of stuff, it gets a little more complex. And if you try to set up a new device, um, I think I tried it once. It just wasn't a great experience at all. Whereas with HomeKit, you just basically, if all goes to plan, you hit add, hit add device, scan the code, and customize the room that it's in and give it a name if you want to. And a couple other settings, but all the settings are in one screen once the device has been added, there's one screen of things to change. If you want to change them, you hit done and that's it. You are done. So it's just a very simple process. As far as I know, it's one of the simplest ones out there. Again, though, I haven't tried Android yet, so I can't say that completely. 
I've used Google for iOS a little bit, and the Google Home app has the same problems that problem that most Google apps have from my perspective. As somebody with low vision, I'm not typically using VoiceOver, and Google apps don't support dynamic type, so you can't enlarge the size of type unless you just zoom your whole screen. And so it's it's really confusing. And I, I find them not as complex or, or hard to understand the UI as the Echo is, but there is some of that. And the fact that the screens are hard for me to read is an issue. I would say, too, that the I'm a big fan of the, I'm in the Sonos ecosystem, and that the Sonos and Amazon apps have a similar problem where it's not apparent, it's not intuitive what screen you go to to do what. And they are often yeah. nested in layers of menus that are not logical, in, in my opinion. And the Sonos, <laughs> less so, I'm just going to pick on Sonos because I'm talking about it right now, but it has the additional problem of not fully supporting uh, dark mode or even invert colors in iOS. So you have a dark screen and then you switch to another screen and for no apparent reason, yeah. the background yeah. is completely different. And it's just like, why are you doing this to me? Yeah, I've had exactly so. the same problems with those apps. Oh. And I, I, can, I can see everything. I'm very tacky. I'm very good at figuring this stuff out. And I'm there in the Sonos app going... Why, why can't you see my speakers? And I have to sit there for two minutes and it's like, oh, I found your speakers. You can you can change your alarm now. It's like, surely I could change my alarm. And if you can't see my speakers, you could send it to them later. Come on, Sonos. Um, and, and yeah, the, the Amazon uh, Magic Lady app has a variety of intriguing problems, um, which I, I actually find it easier to do stuff on the website. So I, I literally go to my Mac and I sit there and I do stuff on the website with the Amazon stuff instead know, because it's easier. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's a sign of a very poorly designed app if, you know, people would prefer to use the website. Uh, so, Well, and another issue that I've run across with, and I probably don't have home kit devices from as many companies as as you folks do. I have a, some Waymo plugs and I have Hue bulbs. And at various times I've had to interact with the native apps for those devices. And it's unclear to me often whether I oh. should be able to accomplish the thing I want in the home app or whether I have to go to that app that the and, and of course if you contact tech support they're going to say, okay. well open the Waymo app or open the Hue app. And neither of those are particularly well-designed apps, and they don't make it easy to, to troubleshoot. Alex, have you suffered through apps that belong to things you've bought? I'm I'm really glad you mentioned this, actually. Um, it's one area that I didn't think about until you mentioned it, but almost every native app, every app from the company that made your accessory that I've tried is awful. It's really terrible. Eve is one of the few exceptions. Eve, as we mentioned before, is actually quite good. But in general, you know, Sylvania, um, what's the uh, LifeX, just all the, the different bulb ones. I don't know how Hue is with voiceover, but the ones that I've tried, you know, even iHome is better, but not great. Um, iDevices, same deal. They're just, they're all really bad. They feel like they were made with absolutely no consideration for accessibility. Buttons are unlabeled. Things don't make sense. Um, elements seem like they should be tappable, but they're not. And I, I mention all this not only because it shouldn't be this way, because it shouldn't, but because yep. if you need to install firmware updates on your devices, the native apps are the only way to do it. And firmware updates are very often important because they offer functionality and they offer security. So you really have to get to install them. But for, oh, at least a year or so now, I've had nine updates waiting 
because Home can tell me there's a firmware update, but it can't install them. And when I go to the native apps to actually get the firmware installed, either I can't find it or I can get there, but then the very last, you know, the install button isn't there or doesn't work. So that is one of the biggest downsides. And it's not just HomeKit because for all of these devices, you need their own app to manage the firmware, whatever platform you've set it up through, as far as I know. But almost no company bothers to make sure their app is accessible. And as Shelly said, if you contact them, they won't know what you're talking about because most of them have no clue what accessibility even is. And if you try to explain it, they just pass it off to some manager who never does anything with it and that it, it never changes. Yeah, it, all of these apps suck uh, for me as well. Um, and I don't, you know, and I, I can look at them and see, you know, like, oh, and here's the button. And then I tap the install button and it does nothing. So oh, yeah. even if you can see it, you're not going to get anywhere, I'm afraid. Uh, you know, at least it feels like Ooh, that. That is not just me. <laughs> we've we've fought the Wemo app and 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 I and my sorry, I've put my husband on it because I became mentally exhausted and yeah. he has both 2020 vision but more important sort of a fresh brain for the task and I just handed it to him and said, "Can you make the stupid smart plug work?" which is not something I, as a fairly technically proficient person, like to either do or admit that I've done. But I, <laughs> And we both agreed the app was terrible. And you're right. It was, you could see it, you could turn it off and on in the home app, but it was a firmware update and, re, you know, rebooting the whole, th the, uh, the, the plug and, reboot, you know, turning it off and on in the home app was not sufficient. We had to go round and round with the company because they're only prepared to help you with their own app that they yeah. want to let you go at the point that you've chosen the platform that you're going to manage your And I really wish with. the home app yeah. and other third-party apps could just take over and install stuff like firmware updates because if I never had to interact with the Hue app again, I would be a very happy bunny. Uh, unfortunately, I keep buying things, so I keep having to use said app to add stuff to my setup. <laughs> and it's the same with the IKEA app. And so on the IKEA app, I find is a little better. Things are a bit bigger and easier to see, and I can figure it out. But I also didn't realize for the longest time that you can only have two controls per room and I'm using the word uh, room with air quotes because it turns out I have a lot of rooms inside of my bedroom. My bedroom heater is a room. My bedroom blinds are a room. My bedroom bedside <laughs> lights are a room because this way I can have one control that controls the lights, one that controls the electric blanket, one that controls the, the blind and one that controls the heater and I can have different buttons control different things inside of the same room uh, because that's how that works. So all of this stuff is just not particularly clear. But then inside of the home app, I can sync these things into different rooms and it's fine. Uh, but I had to use the Hue app to say, oh, by the way, I actually want to configure the buttons that I've bought inside of the home app. I couldn't just do that from the home app. So it's, it's a mess, unfortunately, as far as that goes. So at the end of every episode of Parallel, we ask the famous one more thing question, which this time is the following. What is an aspect of your home or your life that you would like to automate, whether just for fun and, and giggles or to make a more profound difference in the way you live your life? Well, I would really love to actually be able to integrate my Mac into my automation more. I'm spending a lot of time sitting at a computer, um, not just an iPad or an iPhone, and it would be really great if all of this stuff worked really nicely on the Mac as well, and that things could be triggered by stuff that happens on the Mac, but that is yet to be a possibility. So I'm very much hoping that uh, in the not-too-distant future, I'm going to find uh, some better ways to do that than what I'm currently doing. Uh, uh, if people are curious, what I'm currently doing is I'm using Keyboard Maestro to trigger Pushcut. Um, Pushcut is running uh, an automation server on an old iPhone 6S that I have sitting uh, on my bookcase. And then that does the magic for me. But that's kind of 
hacky. Um, and it would be really great to just have all this stuff actually work on the Mac. So I'm really hoping to find more ways to integrate that. If I could just wave a wand and automate things, I think one of the things I would love to do is somehow automate not just window blinds, but the windows themselves. Just opening and closing oh, yeah. those would be would be really cool, um, especially for the spring and the fall where I live. It's It can vary between being way too cold to have your windows open and being the perfect day to do so. So it'd be awesome if I could just, you know, when the temperature is this, open this window. <laughs> that would be That'd be really neat. But um, I guess on the more realistic side, I I wish I could just automate more more of the stuff than I already have been able to, and not just for money, but you know some of these things require a neutral wire, or they require your heating system to support this or that, or there's all these little tiny oddities that you don't think about, and that the product pages and reviews don't mention. And if you live in a certain kind of home or a certain country, you might run into problems. So, you know, I, I wish things could be a little more generally automatable, if that's if that's a word. And I wish things could shrink. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned they are, but even now, a lot of the times when a, an electrician friend of mine will come over to install a new wall switch, he'll say, all right, well, that one worked, but you can't fit any more in this switch box because these switches are bigger and I've already fit this one in. There's no space for any others. You know, so just a lot of the the odd things like that that can happen, um, I wish weren't a problem anymore. You know, everything should just either not require a neutral wire Run on or magic. somehow just... <laughs> Basically, I wish everything just worked. Yeah, yeah magic. Exactly. That's what we need is yes, magic. Everything perfect. should just work. There we go. My, nice. Mine is kind of similar in that we, we talked early on about laundry automation, which I would love to do, but mm. I have quite the expensive stackable washer dryer that I'm not going to replace anytime soon. And I work at one end of the house and the laundry is at the other end of the house. And I would love nothing better for notifications to pop up, preferably on my Mac while I'm working, that say the dryer has stopped the washer is stopped. You need to fill the dryer, that sort of thing. But in order to do those things, I'm going to have to buy not just a little cheap plug, but a considerable equipment. Uh, and 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 all, you know, and I'm I am still worried that if you buy something like a smart appliance, that the shelf life of whatever automation capabilities it has are limited by the state of the platforms and the technology in terms of how many you know years you can. You know, I've had this washer for what, 10 years maybe, but it's going to last longer than that, and it should last longer than and whatever we've, and we've had to make repairs on it. Unfortunately, that's something my husband is good at, and he makes mechanical repairs, but we're not going to be able to turn it into an automatable device. And so, yeah, some magic would be nice. Well, I'll let you so. know if my vibration sensor setup works, Shelley, and then you can just yeah, I'd love copy to, that I'd for love me. Yeah, I'd love to know about that. Because that's such a great idea. But see, I could even do a noise sensor. Like I could put a sensor in this room and then when it hears even either just noise in general stop or the little ping that the thing makes when it's done, that would be Oh, nice. yours makes an audible so. ping? Ah, oh, I, I desire yeah. an audible ping. Neither of my devices actually make a ping. They just stop, which is great, but also very frustrating because I then don't know that things stopped. When I was a kid, the the one my mom had made a terrible buzz sound. At least mine makes a pleasing. Oh, my my mom's washing machine. To be fair, goes like and it goes on for about fifteen minutes, or at least that's what it feels like. And you're just there going, "Did it finish yet?" No, no, it's still going. It's doing another loop. Okay, right. It's just telling a song, doing a song, right? 
Well, Alex Hall and Rosemary Orchard, thank you so much for joining me. Alex, can you tell people where they can find you online? Mostly Twitter is probably the best way to get a hold of me. My handle is unfortunately kind of weird to spell and, and say it doesn't actually spell a word, but it's M-E-H-G-C-A-P. And you can find me, find me we'll there. We'll link you in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> um, I don't really do Facebook. I don't really do a lot of that stuff. Um, I think you're you're linking my blog as well. And that's kind of a mishmash of everything. Um, a lot of my writing actually goes on to the applevis.com website, which is sort of for everything voiceover related um, and some low vision stuff as well for Apple devices. Um, I do a lot of writing there. So that's basically me. I didn't know if you were still with Applevis or not. I should have asked you about that because I knew you had an Applevis for folks who aren't familiar is is really kind of a the, the first place people should go if they have questions about what's new and what's happening in the Apple ecosystem from a visual accessibility point of view. So, Alex, you're a big part of that, and that's awesome. Rosemary Orchard, where can there are many places to find you online? Is what I hear. <laughs> there are many places to find me. Uh, the best place, if you want to find me and all of my stuff, is rosemaryorchard.com. Uh, there's links to me on a couple of different social media sites: uh, nested folders, alternators, books, um, and of course, you can find me on Twitter um, at uh, Rosemary Orchard. Excellent. You can follow this podcast at relay.fm slash parallel. That's where you can go to subscribe. You can follow us on Twitter at Parallel Pods. You can also follow me personally on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. Always happy to hear your topic and guest suggestions for the show. And we'll be back in two weeks, if not sooner, with another episode of Parallel. Bye now.